with the latest on the corporate front, all the market trends, expert opinion, and sound business advice. It is your unique window into the business world, direct from the heart of China. Hello and welcome to Biz Today. I'm Zhao Yang in Beijing. Coming up, we will have half an hour of business news and analysis. In today's show, we'll talk about Goldman Sachs upgrading China's economic forecast to around 6.5 percent this year, and how will China's economic recovery benefit the world? We also spoke with Edward Lehman, chairman of Lehman Bush, a U.S. company in China, about his view on China's market and economy. And now let's begin with our top story. A Goldman Sachs report shows that、uh, China's economic growth momentum should increase the corporate profits and provide new growth drivers for the Chinese stock market. Goldman Sachs says the MSCI China index has an upside potential of 24% by the end of this year, based on current levels. It also said the Chinese economic growth rate is expected at around 6.5% this year, and the IMF also upgraded its growth estimate for. China to 5.2 percent. Since the easing of COVID restrictions, China's economy has seen rapid recovery and development. So, how will it benefit the global economy, and where will the global economy go among much uncertainties? For more on this, joining us on the line now are Yan Liang, professor of economics, Vilmet University, and also Anna Tengen, senior fellow at the Taihe Institute. So, Yan, first of all, how do you see Goldman Sachs' report saying that China's economic growth? Momentum is set to increase the corporate profits and provide new drivers for the stock market. So I think the estimate here, the projection, is that、um, you know they have revised several times、um, China's growth uh, forecast. Uh, last November, they projected China's growth rate to be four point five percent, and then they raised that to five point five, and now to six point five. So I think the biggest reason that they cited was that、um, you know China's、uh, faster than expected、uh, COVID restriction、uh, easing. So that really helped revitalize the、um, Chinese economy, and as a result of that, that better growth、uh, prospect、um, have really enticed a lot more investments in the stock market. So when you look at the emerging market、um, China index. Um, it has peaked at the end of January this year, and it's an increase about 60% from the low、uh, back in October last year.、Um, in the recent weeks, the stock has gone down by a little bit, you know, a, a slight readjustment downwards, about 10% less than the peak.、Uh, but Goldman Sachs still、uh, forecasted that, you know, the Chinese stock market would rise by another 24% by the end of this year.、Mm. So that is a very rosy、uh, forecast of the Chinese stock market, and that is mostly、uh, bolstered and backed by the strong economic rebound of this year.、Um, Up from the very low base of 2022,、uh, but also with the swift、uh, rebound of consumer demand, so there is a、um, really high expectation of the Chinese growth this year,、um, and therefore I think that's、uh, really helped to revitalize the stock market.、Mm. So, Anna, so how do you look at China market this year? A lot of、uh, bullish sentiments on the Chinese.、Uh, Equities and stocks from the global investors. So, with、uh, foreign investment pouring into the Chinese、uh, financial market, so how do you explain it? 
Well, there, there aren't a lot of other places to go right now. I mean, if you're looking around the world uh, in terms of, uh, you know, where to put your investments, uh, you know, it's it's really tough. Uh, America, Europe, um, you're experiencing some very odd things going on. There seems to be a break in the classical relationship between employment and inflation, uh, mostly because I think it's, uh, it's, it's supply driven. Um, but it, it, anyway, at, at this juncture, uh, China is the safe bet. It's uh, the only country that is having, um, you know, a, a kind of clear direction. Um, globally, all the banks have said, yes, uh, China's going to do well. They're expecting a lot. Um, the, the issue here is 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 about confidence and um, kind of meeting expectations. Uh, there's a lot of confidence uh, going into it, but I worry that you know, people's expectations are uh, outmoded. Uh, I don't think you really start to see China uh, picking up um, seriously until, you know, uh, the end of or middle middle of the next quarter or towards the end of the next quarter. And then you're going to see uh, everything that Gatton was talking about in terms of the low base and uh, increasing. Uh, and that, that will help. But, uh, you know, as I always tell you, uh, when I look at China, um, the things that I'm most interested in are small, medium-sized business entities. Uh, they're the ones who are really powering the economy. Uh, 90% of new hires are going to come from mm -hmm. these small business entities. And uh, giving them the confidence to go forward is really there. So I don't think they, they really read uh, Goldman Sachs uh, uh, it's really they're they're looking at the local economy, how much employment there is, and where the demand is. Mm. And yeah, so for the FDI or foreign direct investment, it actually expanded over fourteen percent in January compared to a year ago. And among them, the foreign investment in high tech manufacturing even surged seventy five percent. So, what does this tell us about the economy? Right. So I think what that tells is, again, um, that there is the high expectations about China's growth um, in the medium and long term, uh, because these foreign direct investment, um, they're much more, you know, in terms of their time horizon, they're looking at a much longer time span. So they're not like the portfolio investment that really flow in and out of the country based on sentiment, based on, you know, the short term market performance. So what that says are two things. One is I think the January surge is a continuation of the momentum that we have already seen. Uh, back in 2022, um, the Chinese inward FDI increased by 8% in dollar terms and that reached $189 billion. So China is the second largest uh, destination for global FDI. So that means even amidst the COVID restrictions, um, China's long-term prospect uh, of growth is still very attractive for foreign investors. And so now that the zero COVID restrictions have been lifted, um, I definitely think that more foreign investors will come to China despite all the you know, decoupling rhetoric. I think you know, companies may wanna diversify their supply chain, but they still see China as a major um, partner right, in production and in their supply chain. And second, you mentioned about, um, you know, the, the particular increase in, you know, high tech sector. So I think that really is a sign that, you know, the foreign investors are seeing China's future in those high tech in manufacturing and also service sectors. Um, the high tech service sector increased 60% um, of the, you know, inward FDI. 
So I think it's very much similar to you know what China has experienced back in the 90s, uh, with a lot of the FDIs going into manufacturing, especially you know relatively labor-intensive and export-oriented manufacturing. And today, I think foreign investors are really looking at China's potential in those high-tech industries, and therefore they wanted to invest um, in those industries and also enjoy the long-term growth. Um, with the opportunities that China provides mm, and attractive to the FDI and Ina, so what do you think about the external global economic scenario for China's export this year? Well, it's it's not going to be that uh, great uh, as far as I can see. I mean, you, it's surprisingly you're not seeing a slowdown in uh, consumption uh, in the U.S., uh, Europe. They're still uh, going out there, but I am concerned about the the debt. You start looking at uh, U.S. credit card debt; it's it's mm. way beyond the financial crisis. Um, people are borrowing heavily uh, to support their incomes, which tells me that at some point uh, the merry-go-round stops. Uh, and people aren't able to pay their credit card bills, and you're going to start to see some stress and then uh, a reduction in consumption. I don't know, necessarily know that that hits China as hard. It will uh, have an effect, but uh, the things that China is exporting are, are not the high-tech uh, areas where, you know, obviously is. As uh, Yan said, there's a uh, you know a lot of um, conflict. Uh, China has having to develop its own, and there's an opportunity people see. But um, you know, if, if you're talking about uh, basics, uh, clothes, uh, you know, all of these uh, small components that you need to keep your household running, your car going, etc., these are coming from um, China. Uh, ironically, you know, especially in something like car parts, um, the less money there's out there, the less new cars are bought and the greater number of, uh, you know, need for uh, spare parts uh, comes into uh, factor. And that's an area where China really shines. They do so much of that. So th there are different currents uh, that are going back and forth, but I don't see overall consumption outside of China increasing this year. I guess you're going to see some uh, downgrades. Um, a lot of it to do with employment. Uh, you, you cannot you know, help but see all of these layoff notices in the U.S., uh, a lot of German, um, European companies also uh, laying off people because they cannot produce uh, competitively uh, within the EU and they're shifting a lot of their production to other places, especially like China. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's after the uh, this second quarter, you're going to start to see a sharp divide with, um, you know, global demand going down and uh, depending on uh, China's uh, posture, China continuing going up. Mm -hmm. And Yan, so uh, Aina mentioned that uh, he is concerned about the U.S. credit debt. And what do you think about it? And what do you think the uh, global demand will go? Yeah, I think I share with the concerns. Um, it is true that, you know, the U.S. economy right now is basically supported by the consumer spending and also by the strong uh, job market. Um, but you know, with the Fed really focusing on hiking the interest rate in order to fight inflation, you know, these some of the, um, you know, the strong signs of the economy could quickly dissipate. And so that could definitely um, hurt the economy. Um, when you think about, you know, the recent data, um, the U.S. job market is very strong. Um, mm. it, you know, as 570,000 jobs back in January, and that pushed the unemployment rate down to 3.4%. And we also looked at the Eurozone, um, their academic, uh, economic activities have uh, risen at the fastest pace since uh, May last year. Um, so there's a lot of you know, confidence um, that these economies may avoid 
um, a recession um, to achieve, you know, soft landing or even, you know, a small positive growth. But that said, um, as I said, um, as I, you know, share with the sentiment that, you know, debt-driven consumption uh, would have certain limits. Um, and also as the Fed, you know, if they do continue, uh, and the ECB, if they do continue to hike interest rates, um, that would definitely add to the consumer debt and corporate debt um, and would continue to drag down the housing market, the manufacturing sector, and also the financial sector, which have seen some signs of contraction um, in the recent uh, months and weeks. So I think definitely, you know, these economy have some signs of um, how, uh, recovery, right? The, the avoidance of a hard recession. But I think they're totally not out of the woods yet. It depends a lot on how the this inflationary uh, process is going to unfold um, and also how the Fed and also ECB will react um, to their inflation targets. Mm. If they continue to really try to push down the interest rate, I mean, the, the inflation rate to the 2% target, then I think we are likely to see more aggressive rate hikes. Mm. And that could definitely destroy and, uh, you know, create a lot of damages to the economies. So, yeah, you mentioned the U.S. job market. So major layoffs keep making, you know, the headlines. But the U.S. is seeing the record low unemployment. So what's the mystery of it? Yeah, I think as Ina mentioned earlier, um, this is quite interesting that despite, you know, the Fed hiking the interest rate, the job market seems to be still strong. Um, and I think that's probably due to um, two major reasons. One has to do with um, the really strong fiscal stimulus um, through a few, you know, the acts that the Inflation Reduction Act, also um, the Infrastructure Act, uh, and the CHIPS Act. So a lot of these fiscal spending plans uh, inject, you know, demand to the economy and that help to create jobs. And so the problem with that, of course, is the debt ceiling debacle, um, if that would significantly roll back on fiscal stimulus, um, that that could definitely hurt the economy and the job market with it. Um, and then the second reason I think, you know, um, many people were not able to uh, work uh, due to, you know, long COVID or simply the, sh the change in the attitudes in, you know, in, in jobs in Korea. So, you know, these people, when they leave the labor market, then they're not counted in that labor force. And so um, then that means we're facing a smaller labor force. And so we're going to have a smaller unemployment rate because the jobs need to be filled. Those are some of the reasons why the job market is strong. Mm, so, Aina, so for the U.S. monetary policy, how does the U.S. Federal Reserve's endless monetary policy circle expanding and shrinking, namely controlling the supply of dollar, benefit itself at the expense of the world economies, especially the emerging economies? Well, it's it's really uh, affecting these uh, economies. It's a massive uh, blow because they're the, these are economies that need to grow, and the, these uh, rate hikes have to be matched. And as a result, uh, they're really, really killing uh, these economies. And, and no one uh, disputes that, including the Fed. But they just say, we don't care. It's America first. And we will pursue what we think is necessary. The irony being, and, and I completely agree with Yan, that they're acting on old assumptions. Uh, you know, life and economies are dynamic. And they're insisting on fighting the, you know, the this war with the 
technology from the last war without questioning whether or not uh, the assumptions are correct. Um, you know, and you know, even the things like uh, job growth, they keep pointing to it. But, you know, take a look at the National Labor uh, Statistics Bureau. You know, what are the jobs that are being looked? They're, they're looking for projectionists, uh, cooks, um, you know, uh, people, um, uh, lobby ushers, uh, data, a few data sciences, uh, sports, uh, information security analysis, nurses, things like that. Where's the manufacturing? You know, it's not it's not in there. And, you know, so you're talking about a lot of services that uh, consume, but they don't necessarily, um, you know, they'll employ people, but they're not going to be the basis of an economy. So uh, I, th I think they are completely misreading the situation, not only damaging the U.S. economy by, uh, in essence, putting pressure in the wrong places, but also extending that pain uh, to the rest of the world. Mm -hmm. Well, we're speaking with Aina Tengen, Senior Fellow at the Taihe Institute and also Yan Liang, Professor of Economics, Willamette University. And after a short break, we'll speak with the chairman of a U.S. company to get his thoughts on China's market and economy. Stay with us. I am Dan Wang, Chief Economist of Hang Seng Bank, China. The World Today is a real fun program. You will hear interesting people discussing global trend, economic event, what's happening in and outside of China. So, friends around the world, hope you can join us. You're listening to Biz Today. I'm Zhao Yang in Beijing. Ties between China and the U.S. have frayed, generating a lot of rhetoric around the notion of economic decoupling. However, the trade volume between U.S. and China reached a record high of nearly 700 billion U.S. dollars last year. The U.S. needs the Chinese market, which has a rising middle class with massive spending potential. And China needs the U.S. market, which has one of the largest exports markets for high-quality and low-cost products made in China. So how can the business communities in both countries contribute to developing the bilateral relations? Earlier, I spoke with Edward Lehman, chairman of Lehman Bush, a private equity advisory firm, to get his thoughts on it. So, Mr. Lehman, thank you for accepting our interview. You have been working in China for many, many years. So what changes have you noticed in the business and uh, economic environment in China during that time? Well, when I first arrived in China in the late 1980s, China was already in the middle of opening itself up to the world. Not long after the beginning of uh, its declaration and its economic miracle through the reform and opening up our uh, as easily known as the uh, opening of a Chinese economy. I've seen it come a very long way, and I'm only more excited to see that its economy and its business will continue to grow. You know, it, during the times that I've been here, it's the, the growth has been double digits, um, and now it looks like uh, there's going to be healthy economic growth during this upcoming quarter and the rest of the year. And I think a lot of it is due to new economic uh, conditions, but of course, laws, policies, and regulations, which are, um, you know, limiting the amount of uh, restricted areas of foreign direct investment, uh, le lessening the amount of prohibited uh, areas of foreign direct investment, and um, and then of course uh, having an increase in uh, investment areas that weren't present before. So. Uh, 
you know, China never lets anybody down. Uh, it's the second largest economy in the world, and it continues to roll forward and plays a significant uh, role for uh, foreigners to be able to uh, to have their portfolios be able to uh, be as wide a reach as possible with the return on uh, investment in their companies uh, to be the highest possible. Mm. And second largest economy in the world. So how do you see the trend of China encouraging the foreign companies to invest more in the country's different sectors? You know, China is the largest consumer market in uh, the world. So China must be part of any equation for a multinational corporation or even a middle or smaller sized business. I mean, it has, uh, you know, among the largest populations in the world, it has a middle income, uh, you know, a group of people that are about the same size as the United States, 400 million people. And uh, everyone from Louis Vuitton to Siemens must be in China uh, if you want to be able to uh, to capture that market. You've got uh, increase in clean energy, consumer products companies, supply chains, um, you know, even with with regards to Tesla putting in, um, you know, some multi-billion dollar supply chain um, development in Shanghai. They need to get to the consumer. So the demand will always exist for these, uh, you know, these people with disposable income. Modern cons consumers like to know that they have choices and the demand for quality has always been present uh, among Chinese consumers. Mm, and as you mentioned, the very important uh, consumer market and uh, complete supply chain. So from your perspective, what are opportunities for the uh, foreign investment companies here in China? You know, th there's a couple of uh, big indicators. Like I said, I mean, th there's been opening up to uh, that there are less areas that are restricted, less areas that are prohibited under Chinese laws, policies and regulations. Uh, you know, there's a couple of big indicators of what makes China attractive to a foreign invested company um, and the local Chinese market and the, the business climate, of course. Um, the grand size of China's population makes it a very attractive na uh, nation for investors to commit capital to higher end industries, including but not limited to health care. Um, you know, we've got a, a, a large population that's uh, uh, retiring or, or retired and they need their attention. Um, there's a there's a big demand for information technology, engineering and, of course, high end luxury items among the other points, like I mentioned, from Louis Vuitton to Hermes, this is the number one uh, destination in the whole world where there is growth and where luxury products are being sold. But what makes China so attractive is the capital availability, competitiveness, uh, consumers like to have choices. Uh, the financial services sector has been uh, fully open now for a couple of years mm -hmm. and healthcare for a uh, steadily growing aging population, like I said, so you need life scientists. Um, the, all these areas are areas that are ripe for foreign direct investment and uh, an increase in, um, in development. Mm, and actually, which kind of U.S. companies increased their investments in China in the past few years? Well, you know, we, um, of course, the Germans with BASF, but I mean, you know, the one area that the United States I, I was noticing here um, is expanding their, um, you know, investment is, is, with, uh, is with travel and tourism and hospitality. So 
places like Marriott, places like, um, you know, the different U.S. Uh, hoteliers are now expanding in second and third and fourth tier cities and in travel destinations, um, you know, around China. So that shows a deep commitment to uh, not only the large, uh, you know, cities that they've been around for quite some time. So Marriott is looking to open some 30 hotels in greater China region mm-hmm. by the end of 2023. They're certainly, you know, looking to to continue to invest and are betting on the domestic uh, travel industry and uh, the demand for luxury products and, and hotels is certainly not slowing down at all, is, is what I can say. Mm, they are expanding their investments here in China. So how has the recent adjustment of the COVID policy impacted the decision making of the foreign companies, do you think? You know, like most places around the world, China has dealt with its own set of challenges for the last few years. But with the opening of the borders and the uh, resumption of travel between the borders, there is, without a doubt, uh, what would one could say is the best jumpstart of any activity. The Chinese economy has managed to consolidate its resilience, uh, foster greater potential, and maintain some sound fundamentals are certainly uh, very big incentives for foreign direct investment and certainly, uh, you know, things that will help kickstart the economy post-COVID probably Mm. better than any other country in the world. Mm. And for the U.S.-China relationship, one of the most important bilateral relationships in the world is uh, attracting much attention. So how can the business communities in both countries contribute to the healthy development of this uh, bilateral relations? You know, I'm glad you asked me that. I mean, I've been twice elected uh, on the board of AmCham, uh, the American Chamber of Commerce, in Beijing and in Shanghai. I'm, uh, you know, on the board with uh, AmCham US, which is the uh, supervising organization in the United States. You know, business doesn't necessarily want to be involved in politics, and this business would like is about business to business. It's about opening up markets. So at the end of the day, you know, provide a quality work product, provide a quality uh, service product, provide a quality product. And at the end of the day, when there's so much potential in the population to maintain the experience, you know, business is ready, willing, and able to work and wants to push the economy forward. So despite all the brick or brack or back and forth, I mean, there was the largest uh, trade between China and the United States in 2022. And I Mm. think most wouldn't understand that or wouldn't know that. But that's a fact. And that's a statistic that's coming from the United States. So uh, despite all of the rumors uh, that, you know, the the trade between the two nations is is non-existent, uh, business continues to move forward. And, you know, China acts as a very integral part of the supply chain for many companies worldwide, whether things are produced here or whether they're partially produced here and brought on elsewhere. So, uh, you know, a healthy economic uh, situation in China means a healthy economic situation for the rest of the world. And that was Edward Lehman, chairman of Lehman Bush, talking about his thoughts on the China market. Well, with that, we end this edition of Biz Today. I'm Zhao Yang in Beijing. Thank you so much for listening.